Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is David Bowling. He is the Executive Director at Congregations for the Homeless. Congregations for the Homeless partners with men in the community to create a path from homelessness to stable living. David, welcome and thanks for coming today. Thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, unfortunately, we have to keep talking about the homelessness uh, crisis. I'll call it a crisis here in the Northwest. Uh, there's been 10-year plans and there's been commissions and we've still got a problem. And well, you guys, the uh, Congregations for the Homes, you've been working on it yourself for, uh, is, I think it's more than 25 years now, is it? Yeah, I think we're in the middle of our 26th year of service to the community. Wow. Well, let's stick with a few basics then before we dig into some of the specific ways you, you help folks get back on their feet. Your name implies you're a group of church congregations. Are you a faith-based group of congregations? Our name um, our name could be tricky at times. So our name is implies who we were born out of. We were actually born right up the street at St. Margaret's Church is the first place that we had shelter. Um, the doors opened in 1993, but a group of uh, Interface Social Concerns Council came together and said, we have a need in this community and really brought on other congregations to help uh, fill the need. Interestingly enough, we are not a faith-based organization. We are a 501c3 um, organization that partners closely with many different faiths and non-faith entities in order to live out our mission. Yeah, you know, that I asked that because, like you said, it's sort of in the name and it implies something. But as is true with a lot of uh, nonprofits, you came out of a grassroots, really, people just <laughs> without any um, real leadership and decided there's a problem. They looked at each other, and it happened to be some congregations here on the east side. We're talking the Bellevue area, right? I mean, where we've started. And that's my next question. You got a footprint? Is it just you cater to things on the east side, just in Bellevue? How? What are we talking about? Our, the main place that we were born to serve is we were born out, out of Bellevue, literally probably about a uh, thousand yards up the street is where it was born on in Factoria here, but uh, in Bellevue. But really, we have been serving the east side from sort of Bothell to Woodenville down to um, you know Newcastle. And then, you know, out to the mountain and then Mercer Island. So we are, you know, we've kind of Seattle has their own services and, and Renton Down has other services and Everett Up. But so we really kind of the holy side is who we are here to serve. And has the, so we're talking 26 some years, has the mission changed? Has the way you've served people, I don't know, changed as, I don't know, the, the crisis I keep calling it has changed and morphed? Yeah, you know, as you ask that, ask that, um, what really seems clear to me, I think the mission I wouldn't say has changed, but it's enhanced and deepened. Uh, you know, we started with a bunch of faith communities and different congregations coming together. They're still integral to what we do. They're still a part of it. What we've had to do to meet this crisis is really expand and bring a lot of other organizations. We've got a deeper relationship with the East Side Cities. Um, we've got business communities who are a part of the, the solution now, um, you know, restaurants uh, in a you know, rotary clubs. And so we've really expanded our reach so that we can better deal with this this issue. But our our mission still is to get men who are experiencing homelessness back to stability. That's still our core mission. We do some things that help women and families as well. But the core of what we do is men experiencing homelessness. Well, let's talk about that then, that core mission. Um, 
I don't know, the values, the philosophy that you guys address uh, as you look at this issue of homelessness? Is there a, a, I don't know, a big picture statement that you're able to sum up or that people can take with, you know, what what is your philosophy on this? Not just patting them on the back, giving them a little, a little warm cot to sleep on one night and maybe we'll see you tomorrow, but take care. I mean, it's bigger, much bigger than that. Yeah. You know, I think to me, I, I've been with congregations for the homeless for a little over 14 years now. When I started, it was actually a 20 hour a week job. We just had one shelter. Um, there wasn't really any supportive services, but it was a safe place to sleep. Why I'm here today, 14 years later, I, I started while I was getting my master's in counseling psychology. And my plan was to go off and start a private practice and do all that. What's kept me here is the community and our values. So how we do the work matters greatly, and it keeps inspiring me to this day. And really everything we do is on the bed of relationship. We are working hard to build an authentic, accepting, compassionate relationship with the men who are in need, Um, really wanting to get to understand them. And what we partner that with is being treated, treating them with respect and ourselves with respect and empowerment. Those two I see as being hand in hand. We have created programming where the men can take ownership and responsibility of as much as we can give them because that's really helps reconnect them to their sense of purpose and meaning and being. And really that's where we see a lot of transformation And we really want the guys to know you have worth and you have responsibility. And so I see the way that we tailor our programs is a big part of what I see us doing is reconnecting these men who are on the streets to mainstream society. I think we all win when that happens. And let's talk about those men. Is there a, this is probably silly, there's no one description or how some man becomes homeless and is homeless and gets stuck in a cycle. I mean, uh, who are those folks you serve? There are probably a million stories, I guess. Probably a, a bad question. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's, it's one of the first questions that people think about because in many, many, most of us have not experienced homelessness, and it seems foreign and, and scary, and we go, what, who are these people? How do you become homeless? Because we all have those fears, could it happen to me, right? I've had the privilege over my time to hear thousands upon thousands of stories and meet these men Um, And what I will say is, yes, every person has a unique path into and out of homelessness. Um, I've seen uh, doctors come through here um, who have, you know, hit rough patches. I won't get deep into the stories. We don't have time for that today. I've seen people who grew up on and off homeless, and that's what they've known most of their life. I've seen people who've owned two homes and a boat end up here. I've seen all kinds of people what I would say is um, a common, den- common denominator that I see is what I've termed relational poverty. The people who come through are um, disconnected from healthy community and relationships that allow them to keep stably housed. Um, you know, I think of my own story and think of the people who have helped me get to where I am. And I've had some great family support, friend support, mentors, bosses, all sorts of, of uh, kinds of people that have helped me along my path. Uh, it's not that the people coming through experiencing homelessness may not have had that. Some never have. But right now they're in a season of not having that. And organizations like Congregations for the Homeless then become that 
uh, community for them to help them relaunch. That sounds awesome. Um, I love that, that you throw the word community in there and you've used respect and dignity and relationships. Um, it is a bigger problem or a, a way to face this problem is bigger than just one at a time. It does take this community. So here in Bellevue area, you have been doing that. Uh, uh, CFH has been working hard with beyond, like you said, that we started with some congregations, some churches, but the city is involved. Some local re- uh, land developers are involved. Tell us about the, I don't know, that web that it takes to, to really help uh, people then those individuals one at a time climb out. It takes a lot of people all deciding to go the same direction. It really does. I mean, I'm trying to think about which part of the story to focus on because it's been quite a few years of a winding uh, dramatic story, really. But we as an agency have been looking to site a permanent men's day center, uh, evening shelter, and supportive set um, services center here on the east side for several years. Meaning there has not been a permanent place for people to go, period, in the past, right? Is that what you mean by there, that? Yes and no. There has not been a permanent place for people to go um, who, in a, on an emergency basis. So if you or I to, were to fall into homelessness tonight, um, we would have a place to go. But for up until last month, actually, up until last month, six months of the year, if you would have fallen into homelessness, there would not have been a place on the east side for you to get into that night. We have the rotating shelter that's in different congregations that sleeps up to about 35 men a night. That's been in operation for 26 years, but it's had a waiting list of anywhere from three to seven weeks for years and years and years. So mm. you're waiting, and I'll tell you what, a month on the streets is is like three years on the street in a home. It's just an eternity to wait as you're looking for hope. So for the longest time, we have not had a permanent site for emergency shelter. That's what we're talking about building. And that's a much bigger program because the need is bigger on an emergency basis to really connect people. So we are really excited because we have now identified a piece of land here in Bellevue. We are, we've entered into a purchase and sale agreement with King County on the land. It's uh, county-owned land. And we have partners, the Inland Group and Horizon Housing Alliance, who are helping us to master develop the site so that we'll get a shelter, a 100-bed shelter with day center services and supportive services. There'll be over 300 units of affordable workforce housing on the site and another up to 80 units of housing for people exiting homelessness who are ready to live independently with few supports. So um, quite a vision to get that done, and it's taken many years to get here. In the meantime... We, have, we are in um, a building that's city-owned that we lease from them, um, the Lincoln Center, which is closer to downtown on 116th. Um, we've been there for the last couple of years. We're undergoing construction right now so that that is up to code so we can go year-round. We have not been able to have year-round operations due to code. Um, and what happened, this is a really exciting story to me, is What happened was the council has been working really hard on trying to figure out conditions to site a permanent shelter, and that was a long, uh, long process. And, um, you know, the community got involved. A lot of voices came to the table to try to do that well. 
really respect the uh, council and the community for doing that. As soon as that finished last summer, so I think it was July of 2018, the council then came together and said, we need permanent shelter before a building can get built because that's three years away. Yeah. Um, And they said, let's figure out how to do this. So then the business community came together um, with one of the prominent business leaders, Kevin Wallace, really helping to bring a team of business people together um, and partnered with us and came up with a plan that was about half the price of what it would cost the city to do and about a fifth of the time. And we went out and did fundraising and they really went and um, went out to the businesses and I went out there um, and we went out to our community and we were able to raise the funds needed to do this project. The construction is happening right now and we'll be back in the building by the end of November. And and right now we're in another bridge location. So we currently have 24 seven shelter, uh, enhanced shelter on the east side right now. So if you fall into homelessness today, you have a place to go. Um, We're talking with David Bowling. He's the executive director of Congregations for the Homeless online, right? People can learn more about this. We're going to fly through this in a quick half hour. You guys have been doing this stuff for 20 some years and we won't have time to cover it all. So people can learn more about what you do online, right? You have a website. It's cfhomeless.org, right? Correct, yes. Congregations for the Homeless, cfhomeless.org. There's a lot there. There's a there's a button for like donate. There's a button for like learn more about us. Volunteer. You guys dependent on volunteers still? I mean, like you said, back in its origins, just a lot of people looking at each other and said, we ought to do something. Do you still depend and count on people? Just neighbors? I, I'm glad you asked about that because the core of our success is around the community coming together, volunteers coming together. We have a small and mighty staff, but it's the volunteers that really are that secret sauce. Well, I guess not secret anymore. But <laughs> We don't want it to be a secret. Huh? No, we don't. Uh, we have the congregations. I talked about that rotating shelter. Um, there's about 3,000 different volunteers that help make that run because they bring meals every night. Oh. We have hundreds and hundreds of people that are coming to our other programs to help m- make them successful. So we estimate that we have about 36 to 3,800 different volunteers helping to make us successful. And I talk about that because, you know, our staff, we have about, you know, bet- about 35 full-time staff. The success we have is really amplified with the community coming together. The importance of the community coming to this, it, it sends messages that paid staff just can't. And again, I want to say I have phenomenal staff who care deeply, who are passionate, who are in this for the right reasons. But a guy can always go, well, you're paid to do this, right? But when he's sitting across the table from somebody who spent their time and their money making a meal and said, I can be anywhere I want tonight. I'm choosing to sit across the table and share a meal with you. That's powerful. That says to the men, we matter. And that is a way to reconnect them to mainstream society. The other thing it does is it's a way for the people who are housed to go, oh, this person is actually a safe uh, human being with dignity who deserves to have resources to get back on their feet. And then the other thing, that, lastly, what it does, it's also, I think, w- what I call an accountability piece. If you're sitting across from somebody, you know, say mainstream society versus marginalized, 
they're both looking at each other and they're both going, we see you and there's a connection, right? And you're going to treat each other better. The men walk out into the community and they're going to treat our streets better. They're more likely, I see guys picking up trash around the center all the time and on the streets. They're because they're like, hey, we matter and people are watching. That That is a great solution to sort of getting people connected and back on the path to stability. Yeah, it's again what you're talking about, uh, community and the dignity and respect you talked about very early on in this conversation, just looking someone in the eye and recognizing that they're a human being just like you and have the real same wants and needs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, so uh, I, I kind of want to go back to the city council and the mayor. You talked about them too. I mean, um, as well as all those volunteers, those folks could, I mean, there's a lot of different ways cities treat homelessness <laughs> in the area and across the country. It seems kind of progressive or visionary or something for, uh, you know, the city council and the mayor to stand up and say, we don't want to just kick these people out and round them up and, I don't know, send them across the lake to Seattle. They got their own problems. Does that strike you as different than 20 years ago when looking at this problem? Yes, I think it is different. Um, and, you know, I, I always like to preface this by going, I have my opinions and I'm no expert because on sort of all of the systems issues that have gotten us here. I have some educated opinions. But, you know, I, I said when I started in 2005, one of the biggest changes I've seen between now and then is, A, the number of people experiencing homelessness has increased drastically. There was homeless individuals back then, but we had one program, and we weren't meeting the need, but we were closer. Well, now we've got several more programs, a lot more shelter beds, and we're still not meeting the need. Um, and that's in big part because the, pro- the, the, the problem has gotten worse, right? And there's complexity of reasons of why. What the data seems to suggest is one of the bigger reasons is the difference between housing costs and income. Stagnant wages, but increasing housing costs have pushed more and more people into homelessness. So we're really trying to work on affordable housing. Uh, but the other thing I saw back in the day is people also hiding as, you know, not just really trying to stay out of the spotlight. And there was, I think, a, a, enough, I guess the way to say it is, there were few enough of them to sort of hide and stay in the, the shadows. There's too many now, right? You'll see a lot more panhandlers over the last five, six, seven years, um, people on the streets, and, and you see it more. Yeah. And so I do really uh, respect the city coming in and saying, we want to be a part of the solution. We don't want to bury our heads in the sand. And this city, I, I do want to talk about and one of the reasons I mentioned I was here 14 years later. One of those reasons I talked about is community, but I want to speak about the city and the police. This, the city council has come together unanimously to go, we want to move forward and have a path out of homelessness in our city. The city staff are working diligently to support that vision and have great staff really um, compassionate and passionate about making sure we do it right. And this, the police here, I have never worked with a better police department. They, they live out compassionate enforcement better than anything I've seen. That being said, I... I'm not, I've mostly only worked with them, but I've, as a homeless provider, I love the Bellevue police and they make our job better. And I hope, I think they would say we make their job better. 
when they interact with somebody who is unhoused, their first job is to try to connect them to us. They care, right? They want to get them into a place where they can thrive. We collaborate all the time. And I think that makes this city unique and and really doing something that I think benefits the whole community, housed and unhoused. Well, that's nice to hear, David. Um, let's talk about some of those programs then. I mean, you, you work with guys uh, individually. You find well, you describe it for them, for us, uh, mm-hmm. how, how to get them from their un- instability to a stable life. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. It was September 3rd, so just what six weeks ago that we opened uh, year-round shelter and day center services for the first time on the east side. That is allowing us to build a, an infrastructure in a way that we haven't been able to before. And what that looks like is someone comes into our day center and usually they're coming in to, to have a safe, accepting place to be. Um, they're looking for resources because hey, they're without a home. Something did not work for them. Pretty significant something didn't work, right? And they're needing support. Uh, we've got showers, laundry. We've got meals. Um, but we also are adding in more daily right now as we're building it up now that we're year-round case management services. So we want to do, do an intake with them where we're like, Trying to find out what are your barriers, what are your strengths, and where do you, how can we help you get back to stability? And so that starts in the early weeks, uh, early days of meeting with us or coming to one of our programs. So we have on-site case management. We're partnered with Track Associates, who has an employment specialist on site. So we're really working with the guys to help them have you know get employment because employment is the best and quickest. And most effective way to get out of homelessness is to get a job with enough income. We've got a housing navigation specialist on site is helping guys navigate to housing. Um, and so that's all on site. We are building out a little bit more of the center right now so we can add even more services. We ex- we've just launched a mental health program. So we're building that out because there are guys in there who need mental health support. We have some addiction specialists on site. We'd like to make that more robust some legal counsels, but we're really uh, able to, now that we can go year-round, we're able to build out the programming to really help people move through homelessness quicker than ever. And being 24 hours during the day, this, I mean, a lot of shelters, like this has been the pattern, just come in at, you know, when the sun goes down, the shelter opens. But during the day, to have these services and this place and safe place available must make, I mean, what's the impact on that for an individual who would normally be having to find you know, just something to occupy his time and <laughs> nothing good comes from that often. Yeah, you know, I think it brings um, having that stability, I mean, being on the street when you feel either real or perceived feel like you're unaccepted because you feel different. You feel that stigma. I'm the guy with the backpack. I may not have showered in a few days. Like in Bellevue, that's pretty noticeable, right? We're in the, and so being in a place that accepts you where you can get those resources means that your anxiety decreases significantly. It means that you can start focusing on something more than the next meal or where am I going to be allowed to go or not. So really our programs are designed to allow people to have hope. What I mean by that hope is future oriented. Hope is I want to accomplish something in the future. Most people experiencing homelessness who don't have support, they can't even have hope because they can't think more than six hours, maybe 12 to 24 hours into the future. And they're just in survival mode. So our programs are all about, let's 
create a place where you can start to hope for yourself once again, where you can find meaning and purpose. And so the guys will say it means everything to us to be able to have a place to stay that's safe, accepting, and giving us the resources to move out of what's not working today. That sounds awesome. I'm so glad you're able to do that 24 uh, hours a day, seven days a week. And soon, you, like you said, you've, you really sounded excited when we talked about your permanent structure that you're hoping, looking forward to in a couple of years to break ground on. Um, again, let me give out some information before we run out of time. Congregations for the Homeless, it's programs online, cfhomeless.org, online, cfhomeless.org. Before we do run out of time, David, any major point we've left out about either congregations for the homeless or the homeless crisis or how what emergency what people should do right away or whatever you might want to go or revisit here in our last couple of minutes you know I, a couple of things come to mind one is i just want to say thank you to the community you're what makes this possible um and there's so many people in this community that are giving their, their time their money uh their advocacy there's so much that's going on and Often you don't get to see what I see, which is I get to see a guy with the tears in his eyes because he's just been handed a key to a home and he's so grateful. I get to see the guy coming back from his first day on the job going, David, I'm on the path. I get to see hundreds, several hundreds of success stories. We're seeing several hundred men a year leave homelessness through our programs. I will also say there's more our programs, there's more, still more need to need that we need to meet as a community. So I really want to invite you to come, uh, be a part of it. Whether if you're not on the east side and there's a local uh, shelter near you, go there because it'll transform you to come and see these men. It'll help expand your view and it'll transform their world. That's how we're going to move forward is together. Boy, that's great. I'm glad you ended on that. I loved hearing that that success is really the biggest part of this, and I'm glad you, you focused on that. I should have asked that a long time ago. <laughs> thank you, David. We are out of time now. We have been talking with David Bowling from Congregations for the Homeless. David, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing. And thanks also, a much bigger thanks for all that Congregations for the Homeless has been doing for those in need in our community. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. If you'd like to hear this interview again, it will be available on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts within a few days. Just search Spotlight with Gary Scheip. I am Gary Scheip. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.